Welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another GNT Show where once again I am joined by my co-host with the most, a man who has had quite an eventful fortnight at football. First of all, he put his hand up and said, Gents, I am available to play and was told in no uncertain terms, even though we didn't have enough players, that his services would not be required. And then when he did return (laughs) to play football with us, he conceded nine goals in seven days. Gee. I'm great. I'm still uh, trying to find all the balls that went past me in the net. I think after the treatment I've gotten with my fellow teammates, I think I might sign myself to five five other teams. Um, quite secretly. It might have to be six divisions down, G. It might have to be six divisions down. And you could do it ScoMo style. You could do it secretly, get the Governor General to swear you in into Division 5, Division 6, and Division 7. Now, now, G, G, there is... I, I, I hate to break this news to you on the podcast, but you are being referred to as the Jackson Paulo of the over-45s men's football team. Single-handedly, the opposition's best player. Oh, that's... No, I think I've... Um... No, it's fair. Look at you thinking about it. It's fair, isn't it? No, that's terrible. It is fair. It is fair. We also got a review from your son about your athletic capability. Yep. It's diminished, I believe. (laughs) It has has significantly diminished. Age diminishes us all. Yes. All right. Shall we get on to the news, G? We've got a massive week of of news. Um, Shall we start with some really, really sad news? First up, yes, yes. Um, it's too, b- it's yeah, it's too big a news to leave to the end. I think, and that's that's the shocking um, suicide of Paul Green, leaving behind yep. a wife and two children. Just, just terrible, terrible news. He was a great player for those that don't remember. Uh, very, very successful coach. Took the North Queensland Cowboys to their first grand, uh, well, not their first grand final, but their first premiership victory, and then a grand final a couple of years later. Um, he was also Queensland Origin coach. It didn't quite work out in terms of the performance there, but by all accounts, a lovable larrikin, and um, and uh, he achieved as both a player and as a coach. And a, and a very sad news story. It just goes to show the pressure that these coaches and players are under with the constant media scrutiny. I think it's one of these tragic stories, and always it always seems to be these people. You know, if you look at a Paul Green, and this reminds me very much of Gary Speed. If people remember um, the old Welsh manager, yeah, that's um, right, passed away in similar circumstances. Where from the outside looking in, they look like everything's perfectly fine. Paul Green, ultra successful coach, well loved by many people. All his family stuff was fantastic. Great relationship with his family, his kids. Um, same as Gary Speed, and you know, sadly, they're in a mental state that no one else can understand or hasn't really didn't even know. I had no inclination that this was to come. They all appeared to be happy from the outside and content and successful and achieving things in life. And, you know, mental illness being what it is, there's just other, I don't know, demons is the right word, but there's other factors that sometimes we can't see and people are not, it's hard for them to open up about that. And it's very sad news. It's it's terrible. And more importantly, people have lost a husband, partner, father, and, you know, a close friend and colleague and, I mean, what drives you to that? I mean, he's applying for jobs and being considered for jobs, so it's not like he was forgotten. You don't know. You can never know. And, you know, the, the people he's left behind all, will always wonder, what what if? What could I have done? What Did I miss something? And I think it's sad that someone is in that frame of mind that they think that that's an option. 
And I think it's not understandable for people who are not in that frame of mind. It's a very difficult thing to get. I just think it's harder. If you look at the suicide rates in society, it disproportionately yeah. affects men. It does, um, absolutely. Yeah, so... Look, I just think I just think it's so important that people don't feel alone, and I think it really is important. Um, you never know, what, as you said, you never know what's going on in someone's life. So just to reach out and, and just check in on people, it you know, is, I think we've yeah. all we've all got an obligation to check in on the people around us and our loved ones. And I, and and it, it's terrible that it takes something like this to remind us of that obligation, but it's so important. Like anything, we take things for granted or assume that everything's okay. We're human. That's you know part of our behaviour, and it helps us be resilient. But it also you know, um, sometimes we miss some things, but like you said, it's just key to check in. And I, and I think, you know, if you look at it, someone like him, it's, it, it's hard to get because, like I said, on the outside, everything looked okay. But, you know, men in their 40s, early 50s, it's it, it's a difficult time in terms of life. You're probably moving from someone who's ultra young, you're starting to age, you know, you've, you, your career's progressed or not progressed or opportunities or whatever it is. There's a lot of things, I think, that culminate that people start to deal with in um, their 40s and 50s. And this goes for women as well, everyone really. Um, so it's, I, I think it can be quite a vulnerable time as well. So, you know, thoughts out to his family, um, but, you know, if anybody listening, you know, has any thoughts like that, just honestly reach out and don't be scared. People are there to support you, even though you may not think so. That's well said, G. I, um, I would encourage people to reach out to, to each other and, and not you. Okay, thank you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Just so they they can get the right conversation with the Todd right. Todd Payton. Help. But but if you need an encyclopedic memory of the nineteen eighties rugby league landscape, then you would be the ideal person for that pick me up. Correct. I'll give you the rundown on Chris Mortimer and Steve Ella and um, Eric Growth. Don't know why I didn't go for Para. They're kind of all my favourite players. Kind of. Weird. Don't worry, mate. We've got your assistant coach. We'll get to that. All right. I know. All right, let's keep going. Um it's massive massive news week. Ricky Stewart um yes. after the after the uh the the Jaden Salmon kerfuffle, weak gutted dog that you are, G. Um he copped a $25,000 yes. fine that he has to pay personally and a one week suspension. Now where this was controversial is it wasn't a one game suspension, it was a one week suspension where he had to actually get away from the footy club for a whole week and wasn't allowed to coach the team. Look, I mean, they had to do something, right? I think. Well, it actually, it, it actually helped, not. given the Raiders won. But yeah, <laughs> you know, it might yeah. have. They had to do something. That's. I mean, we spoke about that. Too, too, too much, too little, or just enough? I think it's just enough. I don't know about the fine being twenty five thousand dollars, but I, I suppose they wanted to send a message that this type of personal stuff is not acceptable. I think the fine's a bit extortionate, to be quite honest. So, so the the general commentary was that the fine was fine was okay. I think the fine's too high. And I think the suspension was... It's a slippery slope suspending coaches, though, isn't it? They could conceivably be suspended for anything because they, they, they always have a press conference. They speak about different things. They're not on the field. What draws a suspension and what doesn't? And I think, like you say, it is a slippery slope. What is okay and what isn't? I think the fine was excessive. I think like a five or $10,000 fine would have been okay and the suspension I'm okay with. Um, hopefully our listeners will be in a position to... Uh be able to fine and suspend you, G. I'll t- happily take donations. If you find me, I'll happily take donations to pay that off. Or then 25K wouldn't be enough for the damage you're doing on this no? pod. Okay, so what about um, I'll close the GoFundMe page and disappear. Listen, if you can get a GoFundMe page up and get $1,000 for your fine, I, I will, I will, will gladly waive the fine. Yeah, I will double it. Okay. All right. All right. Um, 
In other news, quiet yes. news, quiet news. Now, the, now yes. some of this is because it doesn't make the NRL look good, so they slip it under the carpet. Of course they do, The yes. NRL agreed to pay $38 million in back pay to the players for the COVID years. I haven't years. seen that anything. Yep. In yeah. 2020 and 2021. Yes. Um, now, the first offer the NRL gave the Rugby League Players Association was $10 million. <laughs> Okay, all right. There's a negotiation. This... Jesus. Shouldn't shouldn't they be doing this in good faith? Just going, this is what we thought the revenue was going to be. It held up better. Here's the proportion that goes to players. Instead, they turned it into a negotiation. How can we how can we pocket a bit of this? It's like a flea market, right? Where you turn up and the person's like, "This is twenty dollars." You're like, "How about two? Like, correct, um, correct, correct, correct. It's unbelievable. And then and then I don't know if you've heard this. <laughs> how do you get from ten to thirty eight? Like, what the hell? It gets better. The next collective bargaining agreement with yes. the players runs out at the end of this year, so it's for next year. They haven't even started the negotiations. And you know who the NRL has recruited to conduct they those negotiations? The negotiations? Correct. It is Correct. The, practically the end of August of the season. Because of this back pay issue. Because of this oh, back pay God. issue. Um, okay. the, the Clint Newton and the Rugby League Players Association is up in arms. You know who the NRL have recruited to conduct the negotiations on their behalf with the Rugby League Players Association? No, I don't think I want to know this. It's not ScoMo, is it? Because it's A gentleman who is renowned for talking up the game, Hugh Marks. Hugh Marks? He always talks down. About Correct. The, the Channel 9, head of Channel 9... <laughs> That screwed the rugby league down and then went and bought the rugby union rights and then said, I can see a future for Channel 9 without the rugby league, is now being hired by the rugby league to negotiate and screw down the players on the collective bargaining agreement. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the NRL. <laughs> you know, usually we always have opinions on stuff and I don't even know what to say to that. Oh, fucking hell. I'm blown away how these how these sports are run. The NRL. How about you negotiate our collective bargaining agreement with the players who you don't value on a replace with rugby players? <laughs> what the hell? I'm just blown away. I'm just blown away. Here, I mean, <laughs> anyway, not that there's any conflicts of interest in rugby league. So let's move on to another piece of news, which this one I'm sure you've caught. Um, the South's stadium drama. So just to recap for our listeners, last year... Um, South signed an extension with Acor Stadium. They did a big survey of their membership base and their supporters, and geographically they have moved away from the eastern suburbs, a lot of them. So Acor Stadium was decided to uh, be the long-term home of the the South Sydney Rabbitohs. I I believe it's a 10-year extension. Separate to that, there was a memorandum of understanding that was South's basis for extending the contract for the upgrade to Acor Stadium. Now, that wasn't written into the contract that South's had with the New South Wales government. And, and, and But when that memorandum of understanding was torn apart by Dominic Perrottet to f- fl- fund the floods, South's are now kicking and screaming that they want to move to Allianz Stadium, the new, the new Allianz Stadium, their spiritual home. And the Roosters are, of course, kicking up a stink. They still haven't committed to Acor Stadium for next year. So as it stands right now, Souths don't have a home for 2023 unless this is a result. I can sort of see how it's all played out, but what a debacle. What is the big deal if Souths move into that stadium anyway? It's not solely for the use of the Roosters. I mean, I will, I will say this. They do, have a de- they do have a problem coming up, the New South Wales government, because if Souths moves out of ACOR, hello, Misty. She's back. She hasn't she's come back. for a while. She's back. She's, she ha- she, even yeah, she's she has upset it. with the negotiations. Oh, she's grown. Oh, yep, she's a big cat now. Yeah, yeah, she's a big pussy. 
Yep. So, so it does leave the New South Wales government in a difficult position because if South Sydney pulls out and there's no investment into ACOR, I mean, what do you do with it, right? Well, a lot of the clubs have moved away from it. I mean, like we spoke about the dogs moving more towards um, Parramatta. Know, <laughs> Parramatta because <laughs> the atmosphere is better. And yeah, it's and, it's, and it's close. And more conducive and it's a, a little bit closer. Um, but, you know, and the Tigers as well. They used to play at ACOR as well. A lot of them are abandoning it because... From a fan's perspective... I can't believe the Tigers are complaining about the facilities at ACOR. Well, I don't mind ACOR Stadium. It's The problem is it's too big a stadium for the amount of fans you get big. there. That's yeah, right. it's a, it's The stadium is perfectly fine, but when you've got ten or 11,000 people there, it's just not conducive to a... It, it's like a morgue there. It's dead quiet. You just need... You need about 25,000 people, and unfortunately, these teams are not getting that enough to make it feel like a good atmosphere and a good day out when you go to the footy. So a lot of them have abandoned it. But with South, I mean, they've got to get this sorted out. But ACOR, it becomes a bit of a white elephant. I mean, I know it's been used extensively, but what do you do with it if no one's playing there at all? I mean, what are they all going to flock back if it goes rectangular and they fix it? Do you know what? I don't think they will because the same problems remain. It becomes this 80,000-seat rectangular stadium. Or 70,000-seat rectangular stadium with a roof. With a roof, but... You know, I've been to Docklands before, or whatever it's called, Etihad Stadium now. I mean, that is dead quiet with 10,000 people in there too. Yeah. It's not that type of feeling. So the issue is trying to get more people through the, the gates, really. Thanks, G. Thanks for your hard-hitting analysis there. So uh, basically, your, your your strategy is everyone plays out of Parramatta and Allianz. Well, it looks like that way. I like the suburban grounds, but, you know, I, I think the strategy is to try and entice more people to come to the games. And it might solve some of the issue. But outside of that, if they have to pick two stadiums, I mean, you know, Para and Moore Park are probably the two ideal stadiums for footy from a, a big stadium perspective. All right, let's keep moving. Um, another piece of quiet news that actually hasn't been reported anywhere. There was a, there was a, a gentleman on Twitter that did a lot of quiet trademark research into the NRL. Um, and the NRL is quietly in the process. Yes. Trademark lawyer. He's a trademark lawyer. Yes. Is it, the NRL has quietly, and it's not being reported anywhere, in the process of handing back all the trademarks back to the clubs. The trademarks were centrally held after Super League. They were, you, yes. Yes, and now they're being quietly handed back to the clubs in perpetuity. So this, if you want to know how the NRL runs, this is it. The clubs control everything. That is the so motivation. So what's the incentive for the league? It's just what so we've got a commission. Totally... We've got an NRL commission that's meant to act like the rugby league, like the like, like the AFL commission. It doesn't act anything like that. No, it acts it as a vested interest of the clubs. Absolutely, it totally is a vested interest. I mean, this should be that... big news. This should be big news. This means that that the power is getting handed back to the Sydney clubs. The, the scary thing about some of this stuff with the NRL is, like you say, with some things like this that actually probably impact or can impact the future of the game or the growth of the game or junior development or whatever it may be, it just gets – you almost never see anything about it. It's just it, – it just goes to show you the quality of our press, though. But it's also the conflicts of interest, right? Like New Correct. Zones, the Broncos. I mean, I'm pretty sure that that will turn into a fairly beneficial commercial exercise for the Broncos. There, there's too many vested interests, but – the commission's meant to um, work against those, but it doesn't. It works with them. So, but yeah, it does, and it doesn't get any airtime. I think it's quite piss poor. You know, Channel Nine used to have executives on the board of the Roosters, so even for them, the people who run or used to run the organisation, it's beneficial for them to get the clubs for the clubs to be the beneficiaries. 
So it's a bit of a schmozzle. Yes, that would be a good word to describe it. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna talk a little bit about, and, and it relates to the salary cap. During the week, the top 100 salaries in the game was revealed by the Daily Telegraph. It runs in conjunction with the Herald Sun article in Melbourne that lists the top 100 salaries in the AFL. So it is... Yeah, it is, the AFL ones are transparent. Our ones are not. So they're just... I mean, where do they get these figures from? From the player agents and the clubs. Okay. And, and and at a glance, it does look right. Oh, it'd be close, but yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh... At a glance, it does look right. Now, having said that, I did notice a couple of things: Moses Imbai, Matt Lodge, and Jesse Bromwich, all at nine hundred thousand a year plus. Didn't Moses Imbai's contract expire? Has anyone? No. Has any? Well, I think I believe I could be like wrong. That but old eight hundred fifty thousand. No, I think contract. the Tigers are still contributing to it. Okay, I thought that was a five-year deal. He's been there, or maybe it runs out this year. So I believe it runs out this year. But but Matt Lodge, Matt Lodge Moses Imbai, Jesse, these are terrible contracts. Jesse Bromwich is a good player, but he's 34. Is Jesse Bromwich really on $900,000 a year? Yeah, I think he was on a million, or close to a million. Well, okay, so it's pro- there's a possibility of... It's a back-ended back deal, deals. right? But yeah, yeah, correct, correct. These are the correct, Des Hasler's but... salary cap deals. <laughs> We'll cut. We'll get to Desi. Jason Sarr got one point seven million dollars in the fifth year of his but, deal. But but these, these, I mean, I don't look. You can't stop the clubs from hurting themselves. But this is what you can't. But but this is ridiculous. Like Moses Empire's on eight hundred and fifty grand a year. Yeah, but I mean, mate, when they signed him. But if he's, if you're fix. the player, if you're the player, you absolutely. If someone puts that money in front of you, you absolutely. You're signing. Hundred percent. Well, I I can tell you from inside sources at the Dogs, and this is at the time, Moses Empire actually did not want to go, but the deal from the Tigers was so high that even I'm pretty sure the insiders said, "Mate, you'd be stupid not to take it, take it up." So he sort of, in a way, got pushed to the Tigers. I mean, I'm sure the Dogs were sort of fifty fifty on whether to keep him or not, but they pushed him to the Tigers because the deal was so big that they're like, "You got to take this money. You can't turn it down." Same with Josh Reynolds. A very similar scenario where the deal they got provided by the Tigers was so high that they they had to say yes, um, and you can see it now. He's been getting paid eight nine hundred thousand dollars for five years. What about Matt Lodge? I mean, actually, having having said that, he's been doing well for the Roosters since he's Matt Lodge has been awesome for the Roosters. But I am he's probably the one I'm surprised of the most out of the three because Matt Lodge was always okay. I don't I've never watched him and thought this guy's the best front rower by a mile. Nine hundred thousand dollars, like that, I sort of can't understand. But that's the Broncos deal that he signed, right? Yeah, but if the Broncos got rid of him, why haven't they used some of that money to give to Payne Haas? Where do they put the money? Where do they put the money? Adam Reynolds. I think they're building Adam Reynolds, and I think they might be building their own dynasty Chinese restaurant up there to um, (laughs) challenge their own dynasty. So, (laughs) so on the in the same article, it was revealed that the Roosters still have a salary cap squeeze. Roosters. Okay, yeah. Salary cap squeeze for 2023. It's a problem the Bulldogs don't have. With no, their don't. top their, <laughs> their top seven players commanding nearly 50% of the cap. Now, the salary cap, as I mentioned earlier, is still up in the air for next year because the CBA hasn't been negotiated. They are a million dollars apart. Start next season. Yeah, well, the players the yeah. players union want 11 and an 11 and a half million dollar cap next year. Um, and the NRL went want 10 and a half. If it is 11 and a half, then it'll be happy days for the Roosters, I think. Um, and yeah. they've already revealed that they've re-signed Angus Crichton on a two-year contract. Um, okay. But if it's 10 and a half, I suspect there'll be a few clubs in the Roosters bucket, not the Bulldogs, given they have such cap flexibility. Yep, correct. We're, we're, we're masterful managers of the salary cap. 
what do you think of this? Now, I think a lot of teams would top load their salary cap for their best players. I don't think it's a surprise because if you look at their top players, their top players are elite or were whether you think they still are or not, are elite elite players. Like a Tedesco was pretty much the best fullback in the comp. You know, a, a Luke Keary, you know, prior to a lot of his concussions and injuries, the poor kid, he's, he was on, you know, it's basically led the Yeah, yeah, J- JWH. J- JWH, you know, best prop, one of the best props in the comp. Like they, the players that they're playing, Angus Crichton came over on gigantic money from South. So these guys that they've picked, they're going to be on big money. And a Joey Manu, when he re-signed, they would have had to re-sign him for big bucks because he's, he's an absolute, even though he decides to pass the ball and he feels like it. But they would have had him on cheap before. But then when he's formed, they had to re-sign him on massive money. So Well, this is kind of why Latrell had to go, right? Well, yeah. And I think they probably made that call to think, well, we're either going to pay Latrell massive money or we'll use that money on two or three other players. So I think they'll be okay because I think they're, they're probably... They'll let go one or two players that they'll replace, I think, with some of their young guns. And what about the salary cap, 11.5 versus 10.5? Why isn't it a percentage of revenue? Like, why is it... This goes back to the whole, you know, back pay of COVID revenue. Why is why haven't they negotiated a proper percentage of revenue for the players and the salary cap moves according to that? It seems to work with other sports and it seems to be fair, as long as they agree to that number, obviously. But that should automatically reset itself. My concern more is so we're in September and they don't know what the cap is for next year. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's the like, way this is getting managed is ridiculous. Hell? I mean, that's right. I agree with that. All right. Let's, let's keep that moving. because um, that $1 million is used for Peter Volandis' blue suits? I mean, they're pretty sharp. They must cost a lot. It's, it's a very rare ink that, they, that, that <laughs> blue suit. You can only get it from the mountains in the Himalayas. Oh, no, it's a blue-purple. I believe that's probably from the old seashells that the Phoenicians used to sell 5,000 years ago. The Phoenicians, the ancient Lebanese. Yeah, the let's, purple dye. The purple let's dye. Keep, let's keep uh, All right. All right. Um, what about Angus Crichton and the two-year re-signing of that? I like Angus Crichton. He's just, he is one of those guys that when he makes a mistake, the opposition scores, though. He's just one of those guys, yeah. You know, I think he started the season off rusty, but I think the last 10 or so weeks, the last few months he's been in superb form and maybe he's one of those players mate they play in the semis every year they've played grand finals they've won grand finals they start the season off slow it's hard to get themselves up every single week um and i think the roosters probably waited to see if he was going to take the whole year off or you know get back to angus Crichton. and he's got him back to angus Crichton. so it's a good signing he's still young he's dynamic good signing um let's keep let's stay on the salary cap news um Cronulla yeah. have their back five Yes. So Katoa, uh, Talakai, uh, Kennedy, uh, Jesse Ramian and Mulatalo all off, all able to negotiate with other teams from the 1st of November. Whoa, that's not... A- yeah, that's unusual. Very unusual to have your entire three-quarter line off contract at the same time. With some of those things, with some of those players, I can sort of go, okay, you might want to test the market. And maybe they've decided to, but the Sharks should have locked down a Mulatalo straight away if you see kennedy as your long-term fullback pick kennedy straight away you know lock him down straight away they look a different side with kennedy there talakai i'm a bit 50 50 he can be an absolute cannonball and he's great to watch but you can get caught out in the centers he just he had that one game where he absolutely torched morgan harper it was yeah. an incredible game incredible and game. then and he's kind of living off that at the moment it's a lot to replace in one hit mate speaking of a lot to replace in one hit Dylan Brown and Mitch Moses look like they're going to test the market from 1st of November. Interesting. 
If I'm Redcliffe, I run really hard at them. I have a really red hot go I would, at both of them. I would go after Dylan Brown and Mitch Moses for sure. I, I mean, think given, you would given, get better money, value, than paying Cam. Look, I love Cam Munster and he's a great footy player. But if you're going to pay him $1.2, $1.3 million, aren't you better off shoring up both your halfback and your 5'8 long term? For similar money, you'd have to think it's not similar money. Each. Dylan 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 Brown's on eight hundred grand, and Mitch Moses is looking for a million plus. So for Dylan Brown to move, you, you'd, have, you'd have to fork out two million bucks for both of them combined. Oh, okay. I didn't realise Dylan Brown was on that much money at the moment. Um, well, tough decision, but I, someone's going to pay them. I think Eels might be in a bit of trouble, more so with Brown than Moses for some reason. Well, Dylan Brown's very young, right? And he's played out of his skin after Cam Munster. He's probably the second best 5'8 in the comp yep, this year. Yep, and he's defensively solid. He's been aggressive yep. with his running. He's had a, a significant impact, whereas Moses, I think Moses is, is fantastic, but he's also a player that a lot of coaches would deem to be not necessarily a system halfback, and you know they probably have their own guy in mind. Well, maybe, but, but they do need some halves. I think Redcliffe do need some halves. Anyway, let's I would keep probably up. go at Mitch Moses if I was Redcliffe. I think they need that magic halfback, and and Wayne Bennett thrives with that type of player. He makes he he really coaches them well. Okay, well we'll see what happens from first of November. Um, let's stay on player signing news. Souths have re-signed Cody Walker, Latrell, and Damian Cook to extensions. Yeah, look, Damian Cook, I get it. You know, your your team's always up there. They're always playing in the semis. They're always a shot in being. Latrell, I get. Cody Walker and Damian Cook are both thirty-two. Don't forget that they both started their careers late in first. Grade. Yes. Damien Cook kind of to me has gone off the boil a little bit. I can still see why they'd sign him, but Cody Walker, look, Cody Walker's the magic ball player they still need. So you sign him for a couple of years. I think by then he's still got enough pace to, to last a couple of years. Latrell, they have to they have to sort out his weight. Well, I've been saying that on this pod about you for years. I will. That's okay. I'm going to go to Philadelphia and do some training and um, come back, upload YouTube come back heavier, and then come back heavier, yeah, <laughs> and slower. <laughs> All right, let's move on to more player news or rumours. Um, Jock Madden, who I really like. Yes. I, I, I really yeah. rate him as a halfback, as a young player. halfback. Yeah. Well, I, I think he's got a big ceiling. and Like, it's my my honest view. Like, he's yeah. come into first grade and he's, look, he's looked the part, right? Yes. Um, he's set Great. to sign with the Panthers as a backup halfback in 2023 to replace Sean O'Sullivan. It's an interesting signing. Isn't it, Just... Isn't it just? I get it from the Panthers' perspective. And I get it from Jock's point of view. You get you, you get into the Panther system. You learn off them. You learn off Nathan Cleary, and then you go get your own first grade spot. And that's what I'm thinking. But then I also think to myself, and Nathan Cleary misses games, so he's going to play. Well, he's going to play five, six games a year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, minimum. So um, I think it's good for both sides. And I think what's underestimated is the Panthers' recruitment of fringe players that they then develop, like a Jamin Salmon. Sean O'Sullivan looked terrible with some of his other stops. He looks fairly functional and fairly decent at the Panthers now. Jamin Salmon looks like a first grader, a Chris Smith. All these guys that are floating around, they, you know, a, a Scott Sorensen, they, they play them and actually make them valuable contributors. So I think they've really got something going there as well, bringing in players. They're like almost a Melbourne Storm. Get some of these cast-offs that come in and do a great job. Well, uh, look, look. I think that'll be that's a good signing for both clubs. I reckon because I, I reckon there'd be a few clubs that would want Jock Madden as their as their future halfback. Anyway, we'll see how it all if plays I out. Bulldogs, I would go after Jock Madden. I think. He's, of course, with really that massive good. salary cap you've got there, I'm surprised you haven't gone after Ben Hunt. He'd be playing for free, Jock Madden. 
be paying for the opportunity to be seen in the blue and white jersey. He'd be paying you guys. He'd have to pay for his own Chinese food. He'd have to pay for his own Chinese food. Of course. So Saints have reportedly tabled a massive two-year contract extension for Ben Hunt. I think it's worth it watching Saints play, and we'll cover this when they play the Raiders. When Saints let go, Ben Hunt looks far more effective and a better player. Even though he's dominant with the football, good things come through him. I think that's systematic, but I think if the system's freed up a little bit, he gets even better. I think it's a good move. I just think, I don't know if Anthony Griffin's the right coach in terms of the way they play to get... Oh, who knows what's out. going on with the coaching at Saints. The God, Saints who? Saints are all over the place, man. All over the shop. They're all over the place. Jesus. All right. Anyway, speaking of coaching, Manly have refused yes. to remove the clause from Des Hasler's contract around the extension. Yes. You know, that he got an automatic yes, extension if he finished top yep. eight in 2022. So they've refused to re- remove Not that clause. Not looking good, considering that they may actually miss the eight. Well, Manly always do better when they've got a Manly person coaching. It does yes. mean Manly will head into the off-season with no confirmed coach for 2023. I know. Okay. There's only two weeks out? left in the season, right? If they really want theirs, just give him an extension for another year at least. Like, just trigger it. What's the... It, it, it makes me wonder if they want him out. No, I don't think it's that. I think I think they want to renegotiate the salary. I think they're going to go, hey, you are going to get an automatic extension at six hundred. We're going to give you twenty five dollars and free Chinese food. Yeah, that's correct. Isn't on big money, mate? Big money. So that's that's my sense of it. All right, let's keep moving. There's a lot of news as I've just. I'm going to leave a lot a few. of important stuff happening. Yes, yes. Luckily, one of us is following it. Correct. Yes. Um, I'm following ScoMo. I'm trying to keep up with his ministerial appointments. I have secretly sworn myself in as co-host of this pod without telling you, G. (laughs) You know what I love? I read a headline the other day where it said, you know, ScoMo must resign to save what's left of his reputation. I'm like, what reputation? Correct, correct. What are you talking about? Jesus, anyway. uh, (laughs) Just Google Ingadine Mackers and ScoMo. Oh, God, yeah. All right, guys. Um. That moment you've been waiting for? Yes. Cam Sheraldo has finally signed his five-year agreement with the Bulldogs. Coming across. Is he going to be the head chef at the Dynasty Chinese restaurant at Canterbury Leagues Club? Correct. <laughs> Correct. So what do you think of this as a Bulldog supporter? I think it is a gamble because he doesn't have a track record in terms of a head coach. And we're in a position where really we've been shit. Not just average. We've been really bad for five years. So it's a gamble. It needs to pay off. We can't get this wrong. I know, you know, the club can probably afford to pay him out if it, if it stuffs up, but a five-year commitment's quite a long one. I think it'd be fair to say the club would be able to pay him out, G, <laughs> yes. given the salary cap and the players you've yes, gone after. You'll just have to go after one less player. Yeah, feel good's part-time deal. We can actually give him feel good's pocket money. <laughs> Is this a good? Is this? Here's my question to you. There's no doubt Cam Sheraldo can coach, right? Yes. I think you need an experienced coach there, or at least an experienced assistant coach. What I'm worried about is this is someone. Phil Gould is trying to recreate Penrith Light at Canterbury. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And is this an appointment to allow him to control the coaching ranks? And if you remember, if you remember, the Panthers only really started to excel when they pushed him out of the coaching ranks, when Ivan Cleary said, I will not stay there with him. Well, here's the interesting, you never read that anywhere, do you? Well, no, of course, it's the NRL media, dude. Yeah, but, you know, that's a very, very telling comment. Now, we've spoken about, like, a Flanagan, for example. I think Flanagan would have been a good appointment, but... Well, I th- or, 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 or Madge. Madge might be a good one, right? There's no way, there's no way Flanagan's going to go with his kid there. No, I mean, with his kid, and then Phil Gould. Well, although although no one does no one does conflict of interest like the rugby league. 
correct. So I'm his coach, father, priest, yes, chief executive, uh, coach, and chief chef, executive agent, and agent. Yeah. Um, and he's saying negotiate. Oh, we're going to get to Andre. We're going to get to Andre. Uh, Andre. Yep. From all reports, Seraldo is a culture sort of setter, and that's what you hear. But he's also Phil Good's appointment, so Phil Good's going to be incredibly positive. And this is what you hear on Phil Good's podcast, right? Phil Good is not going to say, "Hey, Cameron Seraldo's crap at this or not good at this," because you just appointed him. It's your call. So he's obviously going to give us all the positives. But from what he has said, he's you know a hard worker. He sets the tone. He's the one that develops all the players and works within Ivan Cleary's structure. So they've seen a lot, and he's the one that's brought through those players. And from what you can see, also let them play a bit of footy, which to me is important. So I think there's positives. But like you said, can Phil Gould help himself? He does tinker with all... It does interfere. He did it with Ricky Stewart. Are they going to get Jimmy Dimmick as defensive coach? No, I would love to see Jimmy Dimmick there as the attacking coach, as a defensive coach, not so much. Um, I, I think Jimmy Dimmick as an attacking coach would be a revelation under Seraldo. Do you, uh, G, 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 you would need a very good defensive coach with both of those two coaches there. Look, I'm, I'm positive about it, but how it's going to turn out, honestly, with some of these assistant guys, you don't really know. Do you? This is a like, really important, a this is a really, really important appointment. For the club, it is. Because if this one is wrong and it's another rebuild, you are staring down the barrel of West ten, Tigers ten in 10 years, years, yes, years without finals. Absolutely, and I think that's a concern. Yeah, so that's the that's a concern, and that's that's all right. Well, anyway, we've made the point. We'll see how it all plays out. I have got some serious news here as well. Manasseh Fainu, the yes. young yep. manly hooker, has been found guilty of stabbing a person outside a church dance. Yep. Um, I mean, this is terrible news. He's waiting on it sentencing. Is news. Um, it's another atrocity in the NRL. Um, it's all alleged. Uh, he has been found guilty, but we await the verdict. But this is this is awful, awful. And then the the manly players, you know, the the seven in particular that came out a few weeks ago, came out in support of him after the stabbing. I mean, oh, I'm getting tired of these. G. I mean, where do you start, right? Look, I'm getting tired of these. I mean, where where I would start is how angry could you get at a church dance? I don't know. <laughs> I've got to be careful about what I say, but maybe I don't know. Maybe. What, they weren't playing the right gospel music? I don't know. It could be the right gospel music. I don't know. Maybe the wine was, you know, when you're taking communion, maybe the, the bread was do you stale. Think, do you think the they do a church dance and communion at the same time? Do you reckon they do both at the same time? I don't know. Never been to one. But it's just, look, it's a tra- tragedy all around. For the person stabbed to him, you know, I know he's the per- well, considered to be the perpetrator by the courts, but it's just he's kind of lost his, his youth. You know, as well as well as the person. Well, and he's, he won't stabbed. play NRL again. I mean, he's lost. He's lost like two or three seasons anyway. Yeah. It's just a terrible thing all around for everybody. It's just it's horrible reading about this stuff. I think when you're talking about people supporting each other, I think. Gee, here's my worry: Manly, 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 and a few of these clubs. Manly and a few of these clubs. Yeah. The behaviour you walk past is the behaviour you accept, and yep. we are walking past this behaviour. We are coming out after someone's been stabbed, and. Yeah. Instead of supporting the victim, we're supporting the alleged yeah. perpetrator. Yeah, I know. It's it's a real cultural problem it in is, the sport. But to be honest, T, this is where I disagree with you. I I agree with you, but I disagree in that that's humans. No one goes against you know if their family does something like that. They always support their family. It's people just. It's almost like you don't want to. Gee, there's supporting, and then there's publicly sending a message. 
If your story is to believed, if your story is to be believed, then at the very least they are guilty of stupidity unbefore seen in the NRL, which is saying something given the stupidity in the NRL. No, I think that's that's fair enough. And I I think, you know, but like you said, I think there hasn't really been much given to the victim at all. Mate, this is just bullshit. They gotta they gotta look these seven, the people that stab people, just because they're good at footy, we shouldn't accuse people from this stuff. They should be kicked out of the sport. The behaviour you walk past is the behaviour you accept. We're going the we're going the way of the NFL. We're going the way of the NFL. Well, yeah. You, you well, commit yeah. you commit atrocities against other oh, people and females bad, and things yeah. like that, and you get an eight week suspension. That's your punishment. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> I know you're talking about. Pretty high yeah, you know exactly. You, you exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking oh, yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, high, anyway, high let's not cover but it. It's true. Yeah. But with that stuff, it becomes like I agree with you, and it becomes. And this is where we've talked about this punishment and stuff, where it's selective. It's it almost does depend on how good your reputation is, or who wants to protect you, or how good of a player you are. You know that they can hammer the players that don't matter, but players that have potential or or are important sometimes get a little bit more of a free ride than others. And that's unfortunate. And I think that that selective morality isn't good. No, I agree with that. It sets an inconsistent tone about what's acceptable and what isn't. I was going to say equally bad news, but but that would be flippant of me and I won't say that. But but, but some bad news was um, Trent Barrett was rumoured to become the assistant coach at Saints before being confirmed at Parramatta. This is what the Parramatta coaching setup potentially looks like next year. Brad Arthur, head coach, Nathan Brown in charge of the juniors, and Trent Barrett as the attack coach. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with these three at the helm? The win-loss ratio will, will look poor. Look, I think Trent Barrett's a better assistant than he is a head coach. So I think in that regard, it's a better appointment. But is he really? This is the no, thing, I think so. Right? I think so. It'll be interesting to see the way Parra play footy, is my, my guess, because... As the coach of the Dogs, he was absolutely one of the worst attacking coaches I've ever seen. The football was so basic and so worse terrible. than Dean Pay. Yes, uh, but then he was a great. He was a great junior. He was a great assistant coach at the Panthers, and his manly teams attacked really well as well. His manly teams did attack really. Yeah, so what is it about the assistant coach? Maybe it's because he doesn't feel like it's all on his shoulders and he. Can well, well, I, I suspect freer. it had more to do with the club than the man, actually. Well, maybe he was actually coaching the team. I don't know. I, well, I he, we know for a fact he at least took one session. He, he did, yes. No, I actually think there probably is an issue where maybe as a head coach he wants to control everything, whereas as an assistant he doesn't feel the same need. Uh, that's what I really think it is. If he, I'm, is, I'm worried about Para. I'm, I feel like the window's closing, and I, and I, yeah, I am. I'm worried about it. You're going to find out with Para whether he really was the Panthers guy or whether he's the Bulldogs guy. But I still can't believe after his record there was a fight to um, and a struggle to employ him between two clubs as yeah. an attacking coach after we scored the least amount of points in the last 20 years. Yeah, correct. Correct. So, well, I mean... Which what, is fucking I mean, weird. If, if, he can, if he can teach Wonga Blake to pass left to right, that would be brilliant. He might. He might. No, no, no. Wonga, Wonga. You've got to put your <laughs> left hand on top of the ball and your right hand... Jesus. Anyway, all right. Well, that's piece of crappy news. But anyway, let's keep moving. I'm going to come yes. to my four favourite stories, four or five favourite stories of the week. The first one is my least favourite. Isaac Moses and Gavin Orr have both had their ban lifted. Oh, um, fantastic! And yeah, the question right. is, were they ever away? <laughs> no. What I've worked no. out, what I've worked, what the newspaper article said was Isaac Moses actually, while he was suspended, handed over his um, players that he was looking after to his relative, Stephen. 
Stephen Moses. Yes, of course. But he never went to Stephen's house. He never interacted with Stephen. Stephen's done a good job. Hasn't lost any players over that time. Hasn't lost any players. You know, Isaac regularly had coffee with him because, you know, family, you know. So he wanted to say hello to his cousin. Yeah, poor Isaac. I mean, he was busy coaching the Knights. So he couldn't get involved with with Andre. It's so he couldn't get involved. Yeah, coaching the Knights. Sorry, yeah. So I've got a conflict of interest managing my own players because I'm coaching the Knights at the moment. This is, is the NRL going to actually do something meaningful about the player agents? No, they're not because they've had enough proof for them to do something or what they've done. I mean, they can't ban them forever. I, I've got to be honest with you, G. I am a little bit disillusioned with the NRL this season. Some of the stuff that's happened, it's been real amateur hour. It's been really bad. Oh, it's pretty bad. It is amateur hour. And I think this is what happens when there's too many vested interests, mate. I think that's the thing. The it's the clubs. It's the clubs. the clubs, dude. The clubs are in it for the clubs. The media actually owns some of the clubs. <laughs> like, and owns the media rights. It's like it's like the Roosters when they were running Channel 9 and, you know, didn't have a, a sponsor. So they put the Roosters on Friday Night Football five or six weeks in a row and magically Steggles appeared. But, um, but good on them. But, like, that type of stuff's not okay. No shit. No shit. Well, the Broncos, we're coming last, but we're on primetime TV every Friday because News Limited, who owns the rights, owns them. You're correct. <laughs> Anywho, let's keep going. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Another piece of really important news that I actually agree with the NRL on after hammering them for an hour. We've been going, it's been such a massive news week. Bet you didn't think it was this big a news week. No, I didn't actually, because there's certain things that have popped up that I didn't know about, like the yeah, like like or... the footy, yeah. Um, so N- <laughs> the NRL, the yes. NRL is looking to at limiting full contact sessions in the off season as a result of the concussion. This is a very, very, very good idea. They already do it in the NFL. They um, do do and it, it in the and NFL. it is the way they used to train in the '80s. They didn't have contact sessions during the week. Contact was saved for the game day. And um, they used to do, do it against tackle bags in the 80s. Yeah, I know. But you get concussed tackling a rubber tyre. So is, that, is that different? Gee, let's leave your personal life out of this. <laughs> For those of us who played rugby league in the 80s as kids, you'd remember that. That was your tackling bag. Look, I think it's a good idea. I suppose the only thing is, is how do you hone your technique on moving bodies without sort of trying to get that perfect... They try to perfect their technique, right? How but, does the NFL guys do it? Well, that... They don't tackle as well as our guys. They just launch their body at people. And <laughs> people. But I mean, t- I mean, tactically though, it's a very complex sport. NFL. Tactically, yes. Um, yeah. So, but where you got to position your body, how you got to move. Perhaps this is a good thing that they'll invest in making the players a bit smarter. Look, I think it is a good move because you want to limit the, the the collisions to the head. I am a huge right? fan of this. Anything that reduces concussion is the best thing for the sport. But I think initially it will have a bit of a. I think you'll find in the early stages of next season, if it's limited, you'll find that some the tackling will be a little bit off for a while until they play. Well, the they don't know whether they are, you know, the typical NR. This they don't want to introduce without testing, but a change to the rules that undermines the fabric of the game. Hey, the emperor just does a decree. But heaven forbid you change the off season. No, you said to an email. So anyway, look. Four pieces of news left. Um, one is the grand final after the stadium kerfuffle yes. is being still being held in oh, at Acor after Queensland yeah. offered ten million, New South Wales only offered eight million. Peter Volandi is only committed to it for one year, and then has said it's going to be like the Super Bowl; it'll go to the highest bidder. Only two states want it: Queensland and Victoria. So it's going to be between no those two states every year. 
The News Corp press has come out today and said, what a legend. He's just taking care of the sport so well. Let's just rewind where we were at three weeks ago. He had $800 million in funding for Suburban Grounds. He had a 30, 40-year <coughs> yes, agreement with the stadium for the grand final. Yes. And he was in good nick, yeah? Yes. Now, four weeks later, he has no stadium funding deal. <laughs> the way he's handled this, there's now an outcry that they shouldn't fund the Centres of Excellence or the Panthers Stadium. There's a big push not to give them any more money because of the way they've handled this. Yes. And he got $8 million. So last time I checked, positive $8 million minus $800 million is minus $792 million. Peter, Peter Volandis is not the genius this press is no, making him Peter, out to be. Peter Volandis is the guy that, you know, and I don't want to make a lot of gamble, but you know the person that wins $100 but doesn't tell you they lost 1000 Yeah, correct. He spent 1000 bucks to win the $100. Yeah, that's Peter yeah. Volandis. But he's over the moon because he won 100 bucks. You know what Peter Volandis is? Peter Volandis is playing blackjack at the casino, and it's 19 hit me, 20 hit me, 21 hit me. I just wanted to show to you, show you what happens when you gamble. That's that's Peter Volandis. <laughs> I mean, look, yeah, he's won, he's won a little bit, but he's lost hundreds of millions of dollars or possibility through being, let's be honest, very obstinate and very very antagonistic. The AFL, look how just follow what the AFL are doing. They're so much better. Tradition. Run. Tradition, but he's being antagonistic for no reason, and you know what? It's blown up in his face. He's doing—he's doing a terrible job. <laughs> he's not doing a good job. Anywho, despite what News Corp says, because you know why? Because because when the journalists ring him, he answers the phone. Of course, oh, that's that, why. That, yeah, that absolutely matters. That matters. It's you know, you're, you're it's like when Ricky got suspended and Paul Kent spent an hour on the phone with Abdo debating it. You're a journo, mate. You're meant to report on it. You're, we're not asking you for your opinion. You shouldn't have access to the NRL CEO to debate fines and suspensions. Can we call Paul Kent a lobbyist? <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Is he a journo, really? It's ridiculous. A Absolutely ridiculous. But I have to say, I think Peter does look very dapper in his suit. He looks like the Greek um, Willy Wonka. Okay, let's keep moving. Uh, that would make you an Oompa Loompa, G. No, I'm not. I'm not that orange. But anyway, go. All right. So, speaking Instead of orange, of the flower and making chocolate. Speaking making of cheese. orange. Yeah. Speaking of orange. Yes. yes. Crouching tiger, hidden Corey. <laughs> oh yeah, Corey Norman. Hey, Corey Norman, got suspended for a banana in the tailpipe, a la Hopawati. All those years ago, he got an eight-week suspension in the Super League. I mean, how did he? Crouching did he tiger. Hidden Corey. Hidden hand? Is it hidden hand? I believe it was only a digit, but you're not a whole was hand. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Was it sure? yeah. I, think, I think we'd have bigger problems if it was a whole hand during a game. That's probably the Melbourne Storm's new wrestling technique. <laughs> the squirrel. <laughs> the reverse squirrel. squirrel. Yeah. We'll it's called, it's called, what's that technique called? It's called the, the bat cave. Oh, you can call it the hopper. Can you mount a defence for this? I mean, what do you say? Like, after all the Hopawati stuff, was he missing for the last 15 years of his life? Like, why would you do it anyway? Well, apparently when they asked him about it, he said it wasn't me. And then they asked, Corey, is this your wallet on the scene? The other question I have is, isn't it easier just to tackle the person? He's lying there. I mean, oh my God, like, just tackle him. Jesus Christ. If Corey Norman played with that much enthusiasm for Saints, Saints would have made the semis a far more often. <laughs> Jeez, crouching but, tiger you know, it's less effort. Yeah, that's, that takes a lot of effort to, to do that. Just tackle the guy. That's it. It's easier. Corey. Oh, gee. All right. I'm glad we do this over Zoom. I wouldn't want to get Coreyed by you. 
a good segue into the next story. Yes. Which is in some ways related, given it's a toilet story. Kaylin Ponger and Kurt Mann were kicked out of a yes. toilet cubicle. Correct. Um, fortunately, they had Andre no, come out and defend no, them. Yes. Kaylin was sick because he had celebrated so much with Kurt Mann um, because he bought a new house. Correct. Correct. But he was only in the club for 20 minutes before he was sick. Yeah, but you know what? He was throwing them back. They were, they were... It was a big 20 minutes, G. It was a big... big yeah, they were shaking the champagne. It was like the end of a Formula opening. One race. It was like the end of Correct, a Formula One race, yeah. And I'll tell you what the difference is. And the it's toilet cubicle was the stand, yeah. Correct. It was the it was Yeah, the so Daniel podium. Ricciardo... Yeah. yeah, Daniel Ricciardo, you know, he shakes it and sprays it onto the fans below. You Whereas, That technique is known as the G, the shake and the spray. Yeah, with the cat, yes, with Kalen Bond. With the cat. They actually, you know, Kurt Mann was shaking it and the champagne went all into his <laughs> mouth and he drunk it all in 20 minutes and he got drunk. That's exactly oh, what happened. I, 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 well, first of all, I want to say this. <laughs> what they do in their own private time is none of our business, right? I agree with you. Uh, that, that, having said time. that, having yes. said that, I think the NRL and Newcastle Knights are well within their rights to drug test them afterwards. And hopefully it comes back negative. Because Kalen Ponga and Kurt Mann are technically still in season playing for the Knights. Well, they're injured. They're injured. So this is the other bit. This is the And this is the bit that, that not that I particularly like Buzz Rothfield's takes on things, but this is, I mean, there is an element of professionalism here, right? You're recovering concussion. The worst thing you can do is drink. You're on the source if that's the yeah, case. Yeah. Like, like this. Then there's, it's, a, there's, it's a club re- rehabilitation. It's a professional. This is the captain of the club too. The good thing, the one thing I will say is if I ever need a PR agency, Andre Ponga, I'm signing him up. At this point, why doesn't Adam O'Brien hand over the reins to Isaac Moses, Andre Ponga, and Kalen Ponga? And, and Peter Parr and just go, you guys run the show. You know They're what? my new you assistant coaches. Yeah. I'll come and sit on the sidelines. I'm joining Ricky Stewart on holidays. Correct. <laughs> Correct at this point. Let's get to the last story after an hour of news this week. We're going to have to go through the games quickly. Um, let's get to my favourite, my favourite yes. part. There's a story that topped that, okay? Yes, there is. And you and I, it was so good I couldn't keep it to myself this week. Yes. I did tell you in advance. The Tigers unveiled oh, their $76 yes. million yes. centre of yes. excellence. You thought I was going to go down the Ryan Giggs path, didn't you? I thought so, but this might no, be the Tigers. No, this is better. This is better. It is an NRL show, G. So the Tigers unveiled their 76 or $74 million center of excellence. Um, they've got beautiful decal. You walk down the car, biggest gym ever. You've got decal that goes through legends like Wayne Pierce, um, both West and Balmain legends. So fantastic, right? And then you get to the Benji one, the decal on Benji. What it says is he had quite a great career at Saints winning a premiership. <laughs> Instead of the Tigers in 2000. Which club gets their own legend <laughs> wrong about winning a premiership for you? What the fuck is this? How does no one pick this up? It's a massive mural. There's a huge picture of him. How many people walk past this every day? Didn't someone pick it up once to say, hey, And what Lord, about, it was, in the, the, it was in the press and a punter picked it up online before they picked it up themselves. Yeah, I know. I saw, I, I saw the. Um, I thought that this was an old one of these old memes that go around, or someone. No, no, no. Ago. This is this but is. But I actually league, watched mate. the Channel Nine clip, and the Channel Nine clip. Sure enough, there it is. So, apparently, Benji won a dra- um, a premiership with the Dragons. But the only possibility I could see is how many people walk past that every day. They train there every day. 
Benji Marshall was actually part of the coaching team, didn't he, Sam? That's just ridiculous, isn't it? Like, or did the person who painted it, were they really a Saints fan? Well, who knows? Who knows? It wouldn't surprise me. I'll tell you what, Saints fans are crazy. That wouldn't surprise me. It was deliberately done by a Saints fan who painted the mural. All right. I can't get over it. Benji it's Marshall just... walks past it. Hasn't he read it? <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe Benji didn't pick it up. No. Maybe Benji secretly in Bizarro World did win a premiership with Saints. In maybe 2010. he wished it was Saints. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, oh, all right. Sorry. Let's move on. Let's move on. Yes. Let's cover the round twenty-two results. Yes. First up, given given this is going to be another three-hour podcast. Yeah, is the Panthers versus the Storm. The Panthers were obviously yes. missing yeah. missing um, uh, Nathan Cleary and Jerome Luai, and Dylan James Edwards Fisher-Harris. and, and James, James Fisher-Harris. Fisher-Harris. Yep. And it really told, particularly Dylan Edwards, right? So the pan- the Storm really, really dominated them. It was the, That first half was the worst half of football I've seen from the Panthers this year. The Storm won the game 16-0. It was 16-0 after the first 30 minutes of the game. And it was the worst game I've seen Brian Toho play this year as well off the right wing. He got yep. caught out of position in defense a lot. He was dominated. Um, they could, they had no creativity in attack, the Panthers. No. They they had a lot of ball inside the opposition 20. They did have a lot of field position. They just couldn't execute. you know. But the Storm and Cam Munster in particular was fantastic to get this one. Yeah, look, they had too many of their key players out. Melbourne came at them in waves. I think Cooper Johns is more a stopgap. So they, they played a little bit more of a short passing game and had numbers very close to the ball. And I thought that challenged the Panthers' defense, which still remains really good. But it broke a few times, missing that mobility in the in the middle. And I, I think, think they once, missed Liam Martin as well. They missed Liam Martin. I, I think um, once Penrith let in that first try um, to Nick Meany, and that's where I thought Nick Meany added the pace that Melbourne's been missing as well in terms of you know chasing breaks and being a support player. So he got a great kick by Olam and he scored. And then the cheese went straight through the defence to score and it was 12-0 and I think that that's it. It was game over. Penrith, like you say, just didn't have the incisiveness in attack. They were slower. They couldn't pierce the Storm defence. I thought they did okay. They did make some inroads, but they didn't quite... They couldn't have, execute though. They just couldn't get it over the line because they were missing too many players. I thought there was they were gallant. Um, but I think they really lacked the X factor to beat Melbourne. And Melbourne turned up and had great defence. And it was a good win for Melbourne and much needed to keep them in touch with the top four. I think M- Melbourne really needed that win. And you can see the addition of the, the David Noel for Faluma. No matter what you think, you know, there was a quick execution for him, you know, to pass the ball out to him. And he, a good finisher, stepped light on his feet, pushed, pushed through. And Melbourne were missing that a few weeks. He's a very unlikable winger. Yeah, there's something about him that... I he's not like Jordan Rapana unlikable, but he no, is unlikable. No, no, no. There's something... Yeah, but um, he's added a little bit of that finishing on the wing that they've been missing. But good win. Good win. All right, let's go to another game. Next game, which was another good win as well, which was the Warriors versus the Bulldogs. No um, comment. You, you guys were absolutely terrible in this game. Despite that, it was 24-18 after two quick tries in the second half. It was 18-all, and I thought, there's no, I don't understand how this is tied, and can the Bulldogs all of a sudden go on with it? Correct, it correct. So they, the Warriors dominated the first half. Absolutely. And the, other, other than for 10 minutes after halftime... Other than long-range tries, right? Like, the Warriors killed you guys. It was seven tries to three in the end. It was 18-all, but it wasn't 18-all for long, right? They, they did go to 24-18. 
And this has happened to you a lot under Mick Potter. You've looked better, but you've, you did concede three you tries in the away. last 10 minutes. Yes. Absolutely. The fitness. I don't know with all the money you've got. I don't know whether you've got a new strength and conditioning coach there, but they're going to have to do a lot of work in the offseason because you guys are falling away badly in the last 10 minutes. Yeah, and Nick, po- Nick Potter picked that up immediately. Um, oh, sorry. This final score was 42-18, by the way. Yeah, it ended up... I, I thought that was probably more a true reflection of the game, to be honest. Well, I agree I with that. Was... I just don't think you guys deserve the 18 points. No, it was a very poor game. I think the Dogs' fringe defence, particularly on the right, was very poor. Braden Burns in defence was woeful. He in was? Running out and not hitting anybody. He um, was woeful. Sliding yes, he across was woeful. and getting beaten. He was all over the place. He was terrible. The first try for the Warriors was so easy that you thought, this doesn't look good. I don't think the Dogs were up for the physical challenge either. Um, end of season. And then Dallin Watelli Zanesliak took the intercept and loved that try. I think he would have been loving that, getting one against the dogs after what how we treated him, I guess. Um, and then I think, you know, they gave us a try where there was no pressure. Um, they just gifted us a try. And then Adokar took the intercept to make it 18 all in the second half. But to be honest, mate, it was one-sided. It was 18 all on the scoreboard, but the game was not an even game. So part of me thought, shit, they might actually win this because the Warriors should be way ahead. But then as soon as the Warriors stepped up the intensity again, they pulled away. And for me, it was great to see Adekar take another intercept, but also great to see a little bit of Sean Johnson magic with the dummy run, shimmy, and then, you know, faking Avarilla out of his boots with a dummy to score under the post. So a good win for the Warriors. You know, what do you say? Poor performance by the Bulldogs. Good to see a couple of youngsters play a few more minutes, but I think they were found out on the fringes um, quite easily and they fell away at the end like they have for a long time. Near the end of the season for both these teams. It also looks like the Eels are coming to the end of the season. They were at home against South. You tipped the Eels. I don't know why. South's got up 26-0. Guess what happened, which was a complete surprise in this game. The South's left edge (laughs) torched Parramatta's right edge. Now, it's good that you tipped the Eels because this has only been happening for the last 47 years we've played South. You did tell me don't tip the Eels. They're going to lose. 26-0. South's came out. Left edge dominated us, on fire, 14-0 at halftime. It was only 14-0 because of Luttrell's goal kicking. We didn't look like scoring. They dominated dominated us physically as well. When we're not ready for the fight physically through the middle, we fall away. And and our right edge, again, the left edge, AJ got another double, Cody got a double. They just killed us. Like We weren't in this game at all. South came out on fire. I think they played really good football. Cameron Murray was teasing your defensive line. Cam Murray was unbelievable. He's been was in such good form. In this, in this game. I mean, 26-0 was a fair indication of the game. I think so. I think they played through you and then they played around you. I thought your defence was at sixes and sevens, particularly on their, where their left edge attack is. But I thought you scrambled well. To, your defence wasn't good. You scrambled uh, well to you keep and, the score you down. You and scramble. To keep the, yeah, but I think it matters. Parramatta can have quite. No, gee, no, it doesn't. You're you're like you're like, hey man, you've lost forty six nil, but you defended really well because it could have been seventy. I know, but yeah, well, that's that's good. You got to look at the glass half full, right? But I, I was disappointed in Paris. Like the way they turned up, full house, a key game for a. Top hey man, you spot. lost football five nil, but they had enough chances to make it nine nil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did all right, but you know, a full house at home, a key game entrench yourself in the top four and honestly it was a very cagey performance they were poor in defense they got shredded through the middle on the fringe and then around the left hand side like they always do but also their attack was blunt they threw nothing at south at all 
what was working, they didn't even try. They they played a far more conservative, cagey game. That doesn't work for Parra. You need to give them a bit of freedom to entertain. They are a little bit like that sort of team. But, mate, they were just dominated from the beginning and disappointing, very disappointing. And South were excellent, I think, in this game. Yeah, they were. They were. All right, let's move on to Super Saturday, where, well, it was less than Super. But let's uh, let's start with the Roosters versus the Cowboys. I thought this was going to be a good game. In the end, the Roosters won this game comfortably. It's their fifth win in a row um, in James Tedesco's 200th game, and it was at the SCG. Um, they they completely dominated through the middle. Jared Warrior Hargraves and Matt Lodge yeah. were superb. Yes. Um, they did win 32-18. to 18, um and James Tedesco had had a superb game as well. They were up 14-6 at halftime. Joseph Swally opened the scoring, and then Matt Lodge got in on the act to make it yeah. 8-0. And then Sam Walker converted to make it 10-0 before Tawalagi got one back to make it 10-6. Bo got one before halftime to make it 14-6 at the break. Um, in the second half, the Roosters dominated field position, dominated the game. They got three tries and put the cue in the rack before the hammer got one at the end. But um, SCG in front of 15,000 people, James Tedesco's 200th game, Matt Lodge and Gerard Wurry Hargraves were superb. Roosters deserve to win it. They are ominous. They are coming. I picked the Roosters here because I thought they would, they've been playing really good football. And for me, it was a good test for the Cowboys. And the Cowboys have been running second. They've been playing great footy. But throughout the season... You know the tempo and the stakes are starting to get a little bit higher, and I thought the Roosters this was the Roosters turned up at more of a semi-final like intensity and in this game, and the Cowboys weren't quite up to it. I don't think they handled that very well. You know, having Radley like really develop his passing game adds a little a bit of an extra dimension to the Roosters, and the passing and the variety through the middle with Lodge and Jared Warrior Hargraves that's not something the Roosters ordinarily do. So that's obviously something they've added. That allowed them to score a try. And I thought the Cowboys were quite lucky Manu dropped that ball. I was kind of, you know, under the post. I thought that was a try. And that kept the score close enough for them to then at least get back in the game a little bit. And then they scored a try to Tupu with brilliant hands against a fast-moving defence. That's the other thing. The Cowboys were aggressive in defence and the Roosters were just too slick and too good with not much space to move. And I thought, you know, Watson again added, like I said, um, punch and Roosters are coming, diversity. buddy. Roosters are coming. Lodge, Lodge added a lot of go forward. If there's if there's a team game. outside the top four that can win the comp it's for the, the first time ever, it's the Roosters. They look really good and, to me. And I think the Cowboys, under with a pressure game and a higher intensity, higher stakes game, I thought they weren't found wanting, but I think they were a bit lost as to how to. It's a long season. I feel the same way about the Broncos that they've done really well to get to where they are, but it's a but it's but it's a long season, and I just think. The, the cream's starting to rise to the top at this point. And that's the thing. And I think it's a good game for them to learn a couple of weeks before the semis. I thought they, they went away from their natural game a little bit and tried to play a little bit tighter, and it doesn't work for the Cowboys the way they've been playing. And the Roosters too good. So they're looking very good at the moment. They're sharp. Their team's embedded. Um, they've got their combinations going. They're looking good. And they're starting to throw a few um, little bits of variety in. Good win. Looking good. Do we need to talk about the Sharks and Tigers? Well, uh, well. so let's move on to the Sharks versus the Tigers. Um, <laughs> it was 26-6 to 6 at halftime. The Sharks won this 36-12. to 12. Here's what I'll say about this game. This could have been 60. They were running more than a point. They were running more than a point a minute for the first 25, 30 minutes of the game, the Sharks. Um, the, the Tigers just did not show up in the first half. They've put the cue in the rack. And the rest of the game was just both teams wanting to see the full-time whistle. I think this so. game was I, I think... game was over early. 
They got completely dominated. It's a bit like I, I, this game for me was a bit like European football, right? You know, when you're up four 0 and you start knocking and it you around. Sort of, and not, yeah, you start knocking yeah, you ta- yeah, exactly like that. The Sharks came out first thirty minutes, absolutely blew them away, and then everyone said, "Okay, um, let's just let's just see how we go." I think so. Um, this game, they they just weren't there. The Tigers, uh, as a team, I'm sure there's always players that sort of turn up with that intensity, but there were a few too many players that were kind of, like you say, waiting to see at the end of the season. I think they've had a tumultuous season. It's been difficult for the Tigers. The Sharks pulled them apart with some good footy. Like I did like Lockie Miller's brilliant kick for um, Cade Dykes to score. Um, you could see his rugby skills there, like very composed, yeah. easily looking up, seeing where the guy was and basically putting it right on a plate for him, um, which was really cool. It's good to see Lockie Miller out there. Mate, they were too good. And like you say, they got ahead so quick, so fast. I think they put the queue in the rack, the Tigers, and they went through the last 60 minutes or 50 minutes in terms of just waiting to see out the whistle. The Sharks took their foot off the pedal and the Tigers weren't quite there. But, you know, I, I will comment on the obstruction rule this week. It's been a bit all over the fucking place, which I hope it's been really confusing. Um, Royce Hunt got saved for, for being lazy because he apparently was obstructed, but that's because he was taking a break and huffing and puffing. Um, and Brent Naden, angry Brent Naden, played incredibly well So at times. But the, as a whole, the Tigers were quite poor. But it was interesting to see Luke Garner's try in terms of the speed and the skill he showed. Like, you wonder how these guys haven't fit into the Tigers before. I know they're tuned out, but just, yeah, you know, towards the end of the season, the Tigers switched off and the Sharks, easy win. All right, let's move on to the last game of shitty Saturday, and that's the Broncos versus the Knights. Another terrible game. Broncos got out to an 18-0 lead uh, in the first half, put put the cue in the fact. The Knights did well in the second half to fight back to get it back to 18-10 before two late tries iced the game for the Broncos. They were back at Suncorp Stadium. Selwyn Cobbo got a hat-trick, which was great for him. Tamare Martin makes a big difference at fullback for the Broncos over Tessie New. Um and, and Payne Haas and Adam Reynolds had great games for the but But, I mean, the Knights' season's over, right? Definitely over. I think it was good to see Adam Clune give me another run out. But I just thought the Broncos came at them with depth and speed and the Knights couldn't handle it, particularly on the fringes. Whenever the Broncos needed to put their foot on the pedal, they attacked Bradman Best and Dane Gagai and both of them were defensively all over the place. All over the place. This is Dane Gagai's worst year in first grade. Dane Gagai's been awful. And I'll tell you the other two, Anthony Milford and Adam Clune in the halves, it's not working. It's not working. Like, their halves are a problem. You know, they, those fringe defenders for the Knights are not in sync, either with the inside or outside people. They get caught on an island. They make the wrong decisions. Um, I did love the Ezra Mam try, which was a highlight, which was awesome, where Martin really played for that, put him with, through the gap with a great ball, and then to follow that through and then score at the end again, Back to Mam, I think that was brilliant football. But that's the stuff he adds to Murray Martin's passing game. He's got vision and he puts some of those plays through gaps. And I think he's a far better fullback for the Broncos than Tessie News. And, you know, it was 18-0 at half time. The Knights did come back. But, mate, you know, a brief flurry. As soon as the Broncos were like, okay, let's step back on the accelerator. Then they just targeted Bradman Best in the fringe. And then Cobo got a couple of extra tries and it was game over. So... The Knights' disappointing season. Very disappointing oh, mate, it's season. been terrible. I, 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 I can't see how they're not going to change the coach. I mean, frankly. Well, I, if I was um, Adam O'Brien... Plenty of good coaches would... out there. Madge Maguire's out there. Um, Do you think he's celebrating the end of the season in the toilet as well? Who, Madge Maguire or Adam O'Brien? Adam O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, G. Over. You, I'm you... taking my champagne and I'm going to the toilet. 
It's like a podium in here, boys. Come and join me. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, please don't make me picture that. All right, let's keep let's keep going. All right, let's move on to Sunday where we had two interesting games. So first up was the Raiders versus the Dragons. It was a bit of a seesawing game, this one, between two very low-quality teams. So it wasn't yes. a very high-quality game, but it was a close game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a close game. I wouldn't yeah. describe it as the highest-quality game I've no. ever seen. If you've seen one Raiders game, I keep saying this, you've it's seen them the all. It's exactly the same. They came out, they had a good first half. half. Yeah, correct. They, they were up, it out. They were up. They were up 18-6 after a try to Ryan Sutton just before the break. Um, they were up, and then they straight after the break, Albert Hoppawati got another one to extend the lead to, to 24-12. Sorry, they were up 18-12 just before halftime. And then and then Albert Hoppawati extended it to make it 24-12. And then the last 30 minutes was all the Dragons. They were coming yeah. home with a wet sail. Yeah. They got it back to 24-22. Zach Lomax missed a conversion off a Moga Tough try right at the, the end. Wind. Tough wind. kick with the yeah. wind, all the rest of it. But I actually think Saints might feel a bit hard done by in this game. I thought they might have been the better team. Ironically, given what happened earlier on in the season, last play of the game, the Dragons are on the attack. Yeah, but that wasn't a They make a break. They make a yes. break. The Raiders hold them down in the tackle just long enough for time to expire. No play of the ball. Dragons kick up a stink. This time, though, the Raiders win by two points as opposed to losing by two points, which is what happened last time. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, the Raiders, I thought, were well on top of Saints. First half, first half, I thought, yeah, first half, I thought they were. But then second, the last 30 minutes, they just shut up shot. They let in a poor try for um, Tavito Moan. But other than that, I didn't think the Dragons offered much at all. I did like the reshuffle of their back line and moving Bird back in to... Um, the back row and putting in a proper centre um, back into their team to give them a little bit more pace. But, you know, I thought the Raiders started off quickly, but then it just settled into almost like a field position game, you know, for a long time. And the Saints didn't have much other than, you know, the, the try that Amon scored or Amone scored was basically off a fumbling offload when the defence was static. You can see Xavier Savage being back to help the Raiders where his speed really created the try for Rapana before half time. You know, the Dragons, for some reason, sort of hung in. And then when, like you said, the, dra- the, the Raiders scored off the mistake of the kickoff to make it 24-12, I thought that's it, the game's over. And then they just shut up shop. And they were very, very, very lucky the Dragons didn't run them down. I mean, that's a oh, couple I agree of with games that. now I the Dragons could yeah, have pulled out of the fire. You know, if you look at there on 20 points, they really should have beaten the Sharks a couple of weeks ago um, where they came home really strongly but just couldn't get over the line. They left their run a bit too late. And same, I think, against the Raiders. I think they left it too late to start playing the footy. And once they started playing football and they freed up a little bit, they really troubled the Raiders. And you wonder why. I know coaches are systematic. This field position, play hard, tackle hard. That's part of it. But I think now you need a little bit of strategy. You need to challenge the defenders. And Saints didn't do that, I think, until the back end of the second half. And they nearly won the game in that 25-minute period. So you can't say unlucky miss for Zach Lomax. But then they almost scored off the kickoff, like with, with Ben Hunt. Great ball, by the way, to put Fiungi away. And he got caught, didn't get to kick it. He should have kicked it. But the Raiders hung on and still with a sneaky shot of the semis if things go their way, mathematically at least. Both teams, well, they needed that win. So good win for Canberra. But very lucky, I think, at the in the end. Very lucky in the end, that's right. All right, let's move on to the last game of the round which was the Titans versus Manly. It was a bit of an upset, although I suspect Manly's put their cue in the rack for the season this year. It was the Titans' first win. Before you start off with this, quick question, right? If we look back at the whole rainbow fiasco, 
I think there's man. something wrong in the club. Yes. I was going to say, like, they've yeah, I think there's something wrong fallen in the club. off since then. There has to be some yeah, kind yeah. of division. There's a divide. There's a divide. There there's a divide, a divide in the players. There's a divide in the players. Okay. I agree with that. I'm not surprised, by the way, that there is because that's quite a divisive topic in terms of are you inclusive or you're not. You're not. And... I think it's the defense and stuff hasn't quite been the same. It's no, been no, no. I think there's, I think there's those seven players, and I think there's the rest of the team. Well, also, and even take out the the rainbow aspect of it, right? In terms of the diversity, inclusive as, inclusion aspect. If you're one of these players that's busted their gut all year, you've played injured, you've played needled up. Correct, correct. And then correct, these correct. guys then take a stand on something like that, you'd be pretty pissed off. You would be. You're like I've busted, yeah. my, broken my body for you guys, and then this is the stuff you decide to sit out. Would you about. say you've like, broken your body for us at football? Absolutely, but that's because I'm old. Think so. I think you need a walking frame to get to some of these oh, balls, absolutely. mate. What are you talking about? Yeah, you hit the ground and something breaks. So I would say absolutely, unequivocally, yes. Well, let's start. Titans won forty-four to twenty-four. It's their first win in three months. Uh, they snapped a ten-game losing streak. They didn't have Tino who missed the game because his uh, wife was due to, or partner was due to give birth to their second child. Um, and they ended up winning seven tries to three in this game. But it was one of those games, G, where I kind of go, yes, they won it. Yes, the final scoreline says they won very comfortably. But even at the until the last 10 minutes, there's a part of me that said, could the Manly Seagulls run them down? They had 38 points on the board. And I'm like, 38-24. 38-24. If it was 38-26, I think Manly would have a chance. Like, that was my train of thought at the end of the game. You oh, know absolutely. what I mean? Yeah. And so, and so look, 25 minutes to go, you're thinking Manly might still win this. You shouldn't be thinking Manly might still win this. I think I think Ruben Garrick and Jack, Jake Trebojevic are, are out for the rest of the season now. I think they've absolutely put their cue in the rack. For the Titans, um, uh, I thought da- it was Dave Fafita's best game in a long time. For the he Titans, did, I we, thought. we got a Fafita special with his We got a Fafita, he, yeah, you know, he had, he had eight football. tackle busts. And yep. I'll tell you the other one that I thought had a great game and it's the first time in a long time, and it coincided with him back at 5'8". Brimson? Brimson, AJ Brimson. He's not a fullback. And he's and he's not a halfback. And he's not an organising no, halfback. halfback. He's, you know who he is? He's like Dylan Brown. He's a running 5'8". And he's explosive. So I absolutely would keep him there. And to be honest, I really rate Jaden Campbell. I think he's fantastic. So, I mean, what do you think? This game, like, I mean, Manly, I thought were, I don't know if on top, they were just, they hung in, but they never quite got on top of the Titans. Can I tell you the, can I tell you the other person who's really underrated for the Titans that I think's had a really great season? Wouldn't surprise me if he gets Bo their Firma. player's player. Bo Firma might get their player of the season. He's had a lot of good games where he's stood out and run hard, broken tackles. Well, and he's well. a good left edge second role. He roller. is a good left edge second role. He is. You know, again, Manly here, I thought, they had some flimsy defence, but I thought the momentum shifted once Brian Kelly took the intercept when Manly was starting to sort of get on top a little bit and turned it to, instead of 12 balls, 18-12, and then they gave away a penalty very shortly after, 20-12, to 12, and I thought that gave the Titans a confidence to go on with it, and I think they did. In the second half, they scored again, and then they started to kick on with it, and Manly just had nothing left. I mean, I wonder too how much the Roosters winning the night before or the day before hampered Manly's performance because mathematically they were still alive for the eighth. But with the Roosters losing to the Cowboys, I mean, you're done. So, I mean, where's your incentive to win the against the Titans? I don't think there was one. So I didn't quite think the intensity was there as a result. Whereas I think if the Cowboys beat the Roosters, I, thought you, I think you might have seen a bit of a different Manly. Knowing you're mathematically out... You're done. It's, you know, that's a good point. It's a good point. I, I just think after the 
Pride jersey c- as well as I the think, Pride jersey. Cook yeah, I just th- I just think they from that point on they were cooked. They were cooked as a team. Look, I thought the Titans won this game. They played like the Titans of last year, though. Not a lot of defense. Just got around yeah. the other team, threw the well, ball around worked. a bit. I don't think, they, yeah, I think they should have played like that all year. It works. My question for you is, where does this leave Justin Holbrook? The thing is, I don't know how they work in terms of the systems they have at the Titans. I've spoken about this now for a season or two. I think last season they really got stuck with their recruitment and the style of football that they were playing and that they were successful with didn't match. It's like, you know, Jurgen Koppwein plays that don't fit his system or don't work. Like, it, it didn't mesh. I understand. I understand what you're saying. I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think Holbrook tried to adjust his style. Correct. That's what I think the issue is. It's not that they recruited players that didn't fit their style. I think he tried to change their style to suit to, the players. To suit the players, which I understand as a coach, but the thing is, I don't think that's his best coaching philosophy for him. It doesn't feel like... It, it kind of feels like he's not doing what he really wants to do because it doesn't suit some of the players. And we also talk about their lack of fitness has been pathetic and quite noticeable. Um, and I think they're just caught. So I still think Holbrook can be a good coach. I just think that everyone needs to be on board with how they want to play. Whereas I think the Titans seem to be sending mixed messages with the recruitment style. Nothing seems to fit. I'd probably give him another year or another half a season and see how they go next year. But if you get the same sort of results where they're playing totally different styles of football and doesn't work, you have to consider his position. I think that's right. But Holbrook has shown stuff and some stuff with the Titans that some of the other coaches that have come through haven't. So there's something there. There's something there. In rugby league, rugby league administration has very short memories, right? They They do. They made the eight last year and this year with a weak draw. With a weak draw, they've been very poor. They've been very poor with a weak draw. All right, let's move on to round 23. First up, it's a blockbuster. I really, I ummed and art about this game all week. It's Souths versus the Panthers. Souths were $1.55 favourites. Panthers were $2.45 yes. outsiders. Yes, uh, Panthers had four and a half points start. I thought, given the way the Panthers played against the Storm, I thought, and the way Souths played against Para, I, th- I thought Souths would get them. They didn't. This game was played last night. I thought I'd tip Souths too for that reason. Exactly that reason. And I thought there was nothing for the Panthers to play for, really. I mean, they, they, I mean, yes, they, yes, they, yes, they won the minor premiership, but they were going to win that anyway. So we got, we both got that wrong. Oh yeah, we both. And I thought that I think that goes to show you the spirit of the club. I thought Souths were actually quite poor. Yeah, I do too. And I do too. I, what I found interesting is because the Panthers' defence on that right edge was very quick, and they've got Crichton, who's athletic and closes down space quite fast. They basically shut Alex Johnson down. It sounds weird saying that because he scored two tries, but no, no, no. Quite... It's not. It's, it's not that they. It's not that they shut Alex Johnson down. It's the the they the Souths attack side to side. Yeah, they attack they side to side. So a really lot of their tries are right in the yep. corner. They're trying to get yes. around teams. Yeah? Yes, and for teams that teams like Para that works. But teams like Penrith that have a the much quicker line speed, quick. yeah. But it's not well. just the sliding; it's also they move up fast. The line move, speed, yes. right? And and often they slide as opposed to try and cut it off. Like they don't cut in from the wing, right? No, they don't cut in. They slide. They slide across. They slide absolutely. across. So so I think it just doesn't work as well against the Panthers technically. Poor Jackson Paulo. I mean, but if Jackson Paulo could catch the ball. But if he catches the ball, they win the game comfortably they win too, the game. despite how bad. Yeah, you know what I mean. So there's another two tries that Jackson Paulo left out there. That that ground that grounding in the first half, and when Latrell took oh, the yeah. loose ball and he threw that ball, he should have caught that. 
He should have caught both of them. He's a professional the try, winger. The try and then right at the spot. end, they bombed him, and then he dropped it, and that's where Liam Martin got the try. He dropped the ball five times. Mentally, he was done by that stage. He, he well, at least we won't need to do games. the match review next week on this game. What shocked me with South is that I thought they did what Parra did the, the week before to them, is they actually didn't... There was a lot of one-out running and very conservative runs. Like Cameron Murray was running at the line with hardly anyone running near him, which made him easy pickings for the defence. And William Kickout, by the way, was fantastic in defence. I'll, t- I'll tell Martin, you who makes a big difference. I'll tell you who makes a big difference for the Panthers. They are a different team with Dylan Edwards. Yep, and Appy Coruscant changed the game, I thought, when he came on for the Panthers as well. But I thought Liam Barton was unbelievable. I mean, it helped that he was dominant on that side and South had a few weaknesses there, but he really made a massive difference. He could have scored can, can, I, can I tell you, Brian Tyler's form has fallen off a cliff this year. You know what's funny? I was watching him play and I was just like, something, either he's injured. Because we're not going to do the match report given we're doing it now. The Panthers got up 26-22 with a try right at the end. The Souths took a lead with 10 minutes to go, 22-20. They were going to try and hold on. But as I mentioned, um, Jackson Paulo drops the bomb. Liam Barton scores. Game over. No one can stop the Panthers either. Can I say that? No one can stop Here's the Panthers. Here's my take on this game. Once South had that option also cut, South looked very cagey as a team and didn't know what to do because they didn't have the easy option in outballs and trying to go around the defence. If Penrith was at full strength in that team, I think they'd blow South off the park. I agree with that. So you were going to say something else. I cut you off about Brian Toho. Uh, Brian Toho, yeah. I never thought I'd say this, like, but he does seem off. And if I look at their team, Talon May has been by far the better winger. Yeah. It's since that injury. It's since that injury earlier this year. I think he year. must be injured. I think he's playing injured because he just doesn't have the, same, have the same power and dynamism that he had before. But South's disappointing. Yeah, they could have won. Oh, can I make another play. point given we're doing the match review this week? Is Isaiah Tass. Isaiah Tass. Liam Martin. He was t- Isaiah Tass needs 10 kilos if he wants to defend in the centre. <laughs> Liam Martin went through him at will. I know he butchered oh, know. two tries by dropping it, but yeah. he in contact, he was terrible. He kept dropping he was, off. It was almost like he was just poleaxed and steamrolled constantly. But um, Just steamrolled. It was like Jonah Lomu against that English winger every time. But it's one of those things. South got lucky with a couple of their tries. And, I think and Lachlan without- Ilias is a very function. He's going to be a good player, but he, at this stage in his career, he is very, very, very functional. He's functional. So anyway, Panthers got up 26-22. We both yeah, picked South. We got it wrong. Good Absolutely. win. All right. So we've only got seven games to do next week. So that should yep, mean we sure. actually get it in on time. So um, look, next up is uh, the Friday night games a bit later today, which is the Cowboys versus Warriors. The Cowboys are $1.12 favorites. The Warriors are $6.50 outsiders. It's back in Townsville. It um, is Townsville. They, they, they lost last week, the Cowboys, after the Paul Green news. I'm expecting them, given they're back at home, to come out. And blow the Warriors away. The Cowboy, the Warriors have eighteen and a half points start. Uh, the Warriors were back at home last week. The Bulldogs were poor as well, and I thought it gave the the Warriors confidence to win that game, and they got on top. I don't think that's going to happen against the Cowboys. They're in Townsville. The Cowboys need a win to s- cement a, a top four position. I think the Cowboys will win a win easy. Yep, I agree. All right, next up is the Channel Nine game, which is which is ironically involves the Broncos. Of course, uh, Broncos. <laughs> Broncos versus the Storm. It's going to be a good game at Suncorp. The Broncos are the outsiders at $2.45. They have four and a half points start. The Storm are $1.55 favourites. The Storm have an excellent record in Brisbane, which is yes. why, given given how many of their players are Queenslanders, which is why I am actually going with the Storm. 
I've picked the Storm because Jerome Hughes is back. I thought Cooper Johns is basically a placeholder at halfback. Well, he's been he's, better, though. He's been doing better, yeah? He's better, but Cooper Johns, I think, is one of these guys where he's similar to me, where he, he fills a spot. If you've got injuries, he shuffles the ball along. He's okay, but he's he's not going to add any time. Oh, no, he's been he's been a bit better than that last couple of games. He's been a bit better than that last couple of games. He doesn't have, he doesn't have Jerome Hughes' running game. He, he's a different player to Jerome Hughes. He doesn't have Jerome Hughes' running game. But he's only played ten games of first grade as well. I, I think he'll be. I think he's like Lachlan Ilias. I think he'll be fine in time. He's functional. He's yeah, functional. yeah. At the moment, it's functional. Um, and I just think that with him back, I think the Storm looked really defensively very good against Penrith. I thought they were very desperate. Munster, Meany, Noah Faluma has added their pace back. Xavier Coates is back as well. So they're almost got a full strength back line again. Um, I think they're looking good, the Storm, and I think they'll beat the Broncos. They'll raise their game this week again. Great. I agree. Storm to win tonight. All right. Super Saturday. First up, I'll be playing. You'll be watching this. It's the Eels versus the Bulldogs. Eels are $1.37 favourites. Bulldogs are $3.10 outsiders. Bulldogs have 8.5 points start. Whilst it is an Eels home game, uh, it is being played at Bank West, which uh, the Bulldogs also claim as their home ground. It's, 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 it's Bulldogs. Bulldogs heartland. Bulldogs heartland. Bulldogs heartland. Stadium in the 80s. Given you guys beat us earlier this season, I'm expecting the and given the Eels' performance against Souths last week, and given how they're one up, one down, the Eels, I expect them to come out and win this game. I think the Eels will come out, and I think they will. After last week's performance, which was really bad, I think they'll they'll win comfortably against the Bulldogs, and I think defensively they will turn up, and I think that's where they'll sh- shut the Bulldogs down. And the Bulldogs last week, honestly, were very disappointing, and now they're starting to play some of the youngsters, so. But at least they're at home this week. They're at home this week against Parra at Bankwest. So um, Eels to win easy. And the Eels need to win this game. They have to win. Yeah, no no shit. So anyway, all right. Well, I don't think the Eels will make the top four. I've said this to you before, particularly given the draw. All right, let's move on to the second game of Super Saturday. It's the Manly versus the Sharks. Manly are at home, but they're eight and a half points outsiders. Um, they're $3.10. The Sharks are $1.37. Um, Ruben Garrick and Jake Trebojevic are now out for the season for the Manly. They've put their cue in the rack, I believe. I think the Sharks will do this. Easy, comfortably. I think even the Manly team, looking at it, they've got a couple of young guys, a couple of guys that are just on the fringe of first grade. You know, their season's done and, uh, you know, the Sharks have got everything to play for. They win this and they pretty much guaranteed a top four spot. They lose, they can still get run down. So I think they'll win and win... I don't know, comfortably, but they will win this game. Let's move on to the last game of Super Saturday with a not-so-super game of the Roosters versus the Tigers. The Roosters are $1.07 favourites. Tigers are $9 outsiders with 20.5 points start. Unsurprisingly, I am tipping the Roosters, and I don't think there's anything more to say say about it, really. What are you going to say? The Tigers kind of put the cue in the rack last week and went to Tamworth on a holiday to probably listen to some country music and buy some boots from R.M. Williams, but the Roosters... I mean, they're looking very good. And I think they'll thrash the Tigers this week. I really, I think they'll pump them. Yeah, I think so too. I was going to say, I don't think 20 and a half points will be enough. No, I think it might be 30 plus in this game. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be quite a lot. All right, let's move on to the games on Sunday. The first one of these I'm really struggling with, actually. Um, Saints versus the Titans. They are at home. Saints, they're $1.55 favourites. The Titans are $2.45 outsiders, have four and a half points start. Um, I am going for the Saints, and I'm going for the Saints because it's at Wynn Stadium, that famous east-west ground, according to yes, Joey Johns. Yes, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it for that reason and that reason alone, really. It wouldn't surprise me, if the given the Titans' 
now playing with a bit more of a free hand if they came out and put some points on as well. I think this game was difficult to tip because my thought process is exactly like you. What's to stop the Titans from going out and throwing the ball around and having a Jaden Campbell? And I do like the uh, the, the look of the young winger, um, Jojo Fafita. He's got some pace and, you know, he's got a little bit of spark about him. He's still he's still a kid, but, you know, so you wouldn't surprise me if they run up a score, but alternatively, I just think the Dragons are a better team. And I've tipped the Dragons because it's in, at win as well, but... Who knows what Titans turns up? If they throw the ball around with sticks, they could score 40. It's just how they are. True. So, the, but Dragons turn up. All right. The last game, the Channel 9 game, they'd be, they've got some shitty games on Sunday afternoons for the rest of the season, The Channel 9. First up, it's the Knights versus the Raiders. Or this this week, it's Knights are $2.75 outsiders with six and a half point start. The Raiders are $1.45 favourites. Just the Knights have not looked at it in the first half. The Raiders have looked good in the first half. I think the Knights will come back early in the second half and the Raiders will get a late try to win this 26 to 14, something like that. I think the, the Knights it's just, might It's stay. just you get the same game from these two teams every week. Look, the Knights might stay back in the toilets. Who knows? <laughs> you um, love the toilet joke. I love the toilet joke. It's bloody great. Um, you know, they, they refuse to come out of the dressing sheds because they've got the toilets at the same time, but... Um, they've been poor. I think Gagai, Bradman, Bess are a real weak spot. And the Raiders mathematically are still alive in the race for the semis. So, you know, if you're the Raiders, you have to win this game. And they have, they have an incentive to win this game. So I think the Raiders will win and win well. And you never know. There's, what, three games to go? You win all three. And the Raiders, you know, mathematically might be able to sneak into the back end of the eight with a bit of luck. So, Do you really think so? Look, probably not, but there's an opportunity to do so still. I mean, if they win, they're on 26. Um, yeah, and the, roost, the Roosters are on 26. The only team that I can see skipping out of the eight is Para. <laughs> That's the well, only team. The Broncos, right? So if the Raiders win this week and they're on 26 and say the Broncos get beaten by the Storm. If we lose to the Bulldogs, we don't deserve to be in the eight. I don't think you will, but the Broncos might lose. If they lose against the Storm, if results go the Raiders' way, then they're two points They need the, the Roosters eight. to lose. They do, and they need the Broncos to lose. Yeah. You know, so there's a chance, a, a small one, but um, so the Raiders will win for sure. All right. Well, that brings us to the close of a Mammoth G&T show. We have covered all the games, including one yes. from round, um, this round as well. But it was a big week in news, which we really did need to cover off. Thank you once again for joining us. And thank you, G, and we'll be with you again yep. next week. Thank you, T. Next week, I am expecting you to send me a poem that talks about how much you love doing this pod with me. I think you, you can might take, be waiting a while. Take it. Well, you can <laughs> you take might a leaf be waiting out of a while. Ryan what Giggs, do I look like um, to you, Ryan Giggs? With a few more curls, maybe. <laughs> what do I look like to you, Ryan Giggs? All right, take care. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye. You are my totem. Bye.